Okay, um, allow me to pray for us, and, and we'll begin to move into today's time. Father, we love you, and we're excited. It's exciting to be a Christian, to be a, a follower of Christ, to be part of the body of Christ. And I'm excited about what you're doing here in our church. I'm excited about what you're doing here in this community through our church. And I pray that, uh, God, to you would be all the glory and the honor as we are recognizing that you're doing some pretty cool things. And it's all you, and we, we need you in every single way, God, and we, we honor you. So I pray that you would, as you have already been present in this place, moving in the hearts and lives of all the folks here during worship, I pray that you would move in a very special way through the next part of the service as we consider the Scriptures and and so on and so forth, I pray, God, that you would bless that, that you would receive honor, and that we would all be encouraged together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, well, today I'm not really going to preach a sermon. Uh, if any of you are visiting with us, generally we, we work our way through books of the Bible verse by verse. We have a very high view of Scripture and I, I, many of us hold that conviction that there's nothing more important, nothing better that I could serve you than just the Word of God. Verse by verse, book by book, cover to cover. That's how we try to approach it here at Calvary Chapel. But today is going to be something a little different. I got a little bit of an announcement. Uh, the church, Calvary Chapel, Napa, we are hoping by God's grace and His provision to launch a couple of new ministries. One here in the church and one here in Napa. We're hoping to do a residential recovery ministry, a uh, Christ-centered uh, rehab, if you will. And we're going to do one that's in the church that will be a weekly meeting that is open for anyone in the community that would come. And there are currently some of those already happening, and they're great, uh, but we, we want to add to that. And so that ministry is going to be called Regeneration. And there will be more details to come. We'll have uh, the flyers and all, and all of that out in the, the foyer, and we'll tell you more about that as it comes. That's going to be actually launching July 11th here at the church at 7 p.m., and that's open to the community, anybody within the church, outside of the church. And uh, for people who struggle with any kind of life-dominating issues, sin issues, addiction, um, that can be a very broad thing. Um, this is something we've done in the past, and we're, we're kind of relaunching it again, and it's called Regeneration. And that will be obviously a little easier. That's something that we can start right away, and, and we do have a team uh, heading that up. So that would be Pastor Gordon and his wife, Shelly Goo, and Connie Opus will be on that team. Myself, my wife, uh, Jessica Rainey, we're all going to be kind of spearheading this a little bit. And we're really excited about what the Lord is going to do in that. But the, the bigger picture is, is launching an actual residential recovery program here in Napa Valley. And that's a huge undertaking, as you guys, I'm sure, uh, would know that. It's expensive here in Napa, right? And so there's just a lot that goes into this. So I guess as I'm talking about these things, guys, my, my desire is to encourage, to inspire to cast vision, and to uh, stoke faith. That's what this is all about. And we want to have vision. We want to have vision for what God wants to do in our church and in this community. We want to be a church that is making an impact. Do we not? Yes. You know, my pastor in Tennessee used to ask a really hard question. He would say, if Calvary Chapel Greenville closed today, would the community even know it? 
And that's something that has always really stuck with me, and that's something I try to ask myself. And that's a challenging question. And so we want to be a church that's not just in these four walls, but we're having a tremendous impact on the community. And that's vision, and it takes faith. We want to be people who are walking in faith, right? The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we step out believing God is in this thing, and we're going to give God an opportunity to show Himself as a big and a mighty God. And so I just want to say that that's kind of the what. This is what we are hoping to do, believing that God is in this and hoping that, that our body will, will support us in that. We'll talk more about that a little later on in the message. So I wanted to take a moment and talk about why. I want to talk about the why of what we're doing here. And I think most of you in here know my testimony, my, my wife included, that we are the product of a ministry like this. I grew up in a life of drugs and alcohol and, and criminal activity, and God finally brought me to the end of myself, and I had nowhere else to look but up, and uh, He provided an opportunity for me to go to a faith-based program all the way back in 2005 in Tennessee. So that was how I ended up in Tennessee from South Carolina, and God met with me in a very amazing way there, and He, he changed my life forever, and He put a calling and a passion on me at that point, and, uh, and I have spent the rest of my days since pursuing that calling. My wife as well. God has used that same kind of ministry, and Cornerstone sent her to Tennessee years ago, and she went through the same program I did, and just as I had decided to stay in Tennessee and serve in the church, she did the same. We became friends, and the rest is history. But what is amazing to me is that my pastor in Tennessee, you know, he was, the, he was a uh, graduate of a faith-based recovery program in Southern California. And so he went through that program, and then he moved to Tennessee and planted a Calvary Chapel. God put it on his heart to start a program there in Tennessee, and then Jess and I went there and met, and now here we are all these years later, and we're hoping to do the same thing here. And so that's just a little glimpse into how God can move and work in situations like that and how far-reaching it can be. And there are people all around the world who have, have gone out uh, after having gone through programs like this and been inspired to serve the Lord and to make His name great. And so I just want you to understand the far-reaching implications a ministry like this can have. And that's pretty amazing, is it not? When just Jess and my story and how we've landed here. And so it's always been our passion to be able to do something like this at some point. You know, I, I thought at one point in my ministry, my life, that that's what I would be, a recovery pastor. And my highest dream was to be a senior pastor, a teaching pastor, and, and God has done that, but I also believe that He wants to use me and Jess and our church to be a part of uh, an addiction ministry as well here in Napa. Because, guys, let's just be honest, there is a need, is there not? I mean, I think every single person in this room can relate. Either you have struggles yourself, or you have struggles in your family, or friends, or neighbors, or on some level you have experienced the, the fallout and the destruction that comes from addiction and life-controlling issues. This is something that we all are affected by on some level, and we recognize just how desperately it is needed here. And so 
As I said, we want to have an impact on our community. We want to deal with a, a need that is very real. I believe that it's a calling that God has placed on my life and by extension our church. And that's just the way the church has always functioned. The church from the very beginning has been very serious about issues, social issues. You know, in the earliest days of the church, um, murder, execution, these things were so rampant and oftentimes there would be dead bodies all over the place. And you know, one of the first ministries of the church was to go find these bodies and to give them a proper burial. I mean, could you imagine that being your ministry? It's like, no thanks, man. But they, the church did that. Also in that day, in that age, uh, if you didn't want your, your baby, a baby that had been fully born, and you decided the father decided he didn't want it, they called it exposing the child. They would just abandon the baby to the wild somewhere, and the elements or, or even wild animals might kill that baby and so they would the church would find these babies and raise them and give them a a christian upbringing and that that's real that is real deal stuff and um, throughout the the centuries the church has been on the forefront of dealing with real serious issues because we have the answer guys you understand that we have the answer the church of jesus christ we have the solution so we want to be on the front end of this too. So with that, I do want to share some scriptures with you guys. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Still kind of dealing with the why. Why we do what we do. Why, why we're going after something like this. I want to kind of give you a, a scriptural philosophy. I want to present to you Jesus' heart. And really, this is a philosophy of, of the ministry that we're trying to launch. I want, you to, I want to connect the dots for you why a ministry like this is so scriptural and, and how it applies to people who struggle with addiction. And also, I want you guys to realize this is not just about addicts here. All of these verses uh, apply to us. And so I, I don't want us to miss that. This is still a church ser service. This is still Calvary Chapel. We're still in the Word. God is still going to speak to you directly through His Word. But I also want you to connect the dots too for how the, the faith, Christianity, is so relevant when it comes to dealing with issues of addiction and why we are so confident to that end. So Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus had just launched out into His earthly ministry He's a grown man now. He's been baptized. The Spirit came upon him. He went out into the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan. You know the story. He fasted for 40 days. He overcame all three temptations. And now he's launching out. But he goes back to his own hometown. He goes back to Nazareth. And he wasn't received very well at all from those people who knew him so well. And he goes to the synagogue. And as any rabbi would do in the synagogue, he is handed a scroll and he reads from it and he'll expound upon it. But we're told here that he was, uh, verse 18, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogues were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So this is what Jesus was all about. This was in Isaiah. And Jesus says that this spoke of me. This was speaking of me and it has been fulfilled this very day in your hearing. So I just want to take these lines here uh, and unpack them one by one. So first off, Jesus said that the Spirit has anointed me to preach the Gospel. That was always Jesus' priority. He was a preacher. And He preached righteousness and He preached that the kingdom was coming and He preached repentance. And He did heal. He did all kinds of healings. But Jesus made it very clear that His main objective was to preach the Gospel. And that's, that's what we have, folks. We have the good news of Jesus Christ. We have the good news of forgiveness of sins. We have the good news of entering into a love relationship with God. We have that good news. Okay? And that was what Jesus was all about. And that was His first priority. So that's, that's our priority. We are a gospel-believing, gospel-preaching church. And there are all kinds of philosophies out there regarding addiction. And there may be some merit to, to some of those philosophies philosophies to one degree or another, but we understand that ultimately it's about the transforming, redeeming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we have. That is what we have. That is what I have experienced. That was what set me free. That is what pulled me up out of the pit and set my feet upon the rock. And that is what we have to offer the world. And that's what the world desperately needs. Amen? And so that was what Jesus came to bring, and as He did, we're doing the same thing. So when we talk about addiction ministry, ultimately, that's what we're talking about. We're not shying away from that. The answer for all of those issues that people come through the doors with is Jesus Christ and the Gospel. And such is the case for all of us in this room right now. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your story is, no matter what your issue might be, can I tell you that the answer is the Gospel? You know, the Gospel is not just for unbelievers. The Gospel is for believers too. All throughout our walk, we should never get tired of hearing the Gospel. We should never look at it like that's elementary stuff. I want to move on to the deeper things. No, the Gospel is monumental. It is the bedrock. Everything is built upon it. We love the Gospel. We herald the Gospel. We, pro we protect the Gospel. And we share the Gospel. Well, Jesus said He came to preach the Gospel to the poor to the poor. And that's significant. And oftentimes when Jesus would talk about the poor, the idea is those who are desperate and needy. You know, Jesus said it's, it's easier for the, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. Now that's not to say that riches are bad or that rich people can't be saved. But the issue there is that oftentimes people who are very wealthy, they, they have no need. They're very self-sufficient. What need do they have of God? And that is arrogance, it is pride, it is deception, self-deception. But the reality is that people who are poor and desperate, who are oppressed, afflicted, who are in bondage, they know that they need God. They know that they are needy. And Jesus so often came to those types of people. And the religious leaders, they couldn't stand it. They couldn't stand the fact that Jesus would spend His time with tax collectors and with sinners, with prostitutes, with 
with all of society's outcasts. But this is what Jesus said to, to those religious leaders. In Luke chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well, they have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The people who are desperate and needy and broken and know it, that's where Jesus is at. Those are the people that Jesus wants to meet with. He wants to meet with everybody, don't get me wrong. But there's something that's very special about this kind of ministry that I'm talking about because you don't have to convince those folks that they are sinners or that they have messed up. You didn't have to convince me. I wasn't there because life was so good that I needed a break from the goodness of my life. Okay? I was there because I had messed up over and over and over and over and I was sick of just trying to survive. I came to a place where I realized there has to be more to life than just surviving. And so um, God met me there. And that, those are the kind of people that, that Jesus is, is so very interested in ministering to. you know. And so that's why a ministry like this is so special. Some of the sweetest times I've ever had is ministering to people who come in who are absolutely devastated, absolutely broken, convinced that they're the problem. You know, a lot of times people don't recognize you're the issue or I'm the issue. And sometimes you have to kind of get people to that place. But these, these folks, so often they know. They already know. And they're ready. They're ready for healing. They're ready for restoration. Any kind of hope that you can give them. And so Jesus came to bring that. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus didn't just come to reform our behavior. Jesus didn't come to just make us look better on the outside. You get that, right? A lot of Christians think that. That it's all about uh, outward behavior and, and uh, behavioral modification. Jesus came to heal the heart. Anybody in here ever had a broken heart before? It's been said that if you preach to broken hearts, you'll never lack an audience. And that is true. And, you know, I can speak for myself. I have experienced life-crushing anguish. And, I mean, just crushing me down to the ground. And God met me there. God was so faithful. And Jesus loved me through it. And Jesus restored me. And He picked up the pieces and He did a brand new thing. And that's what Jesus came to do. And it's a matter of a new heart. We can't just white-knuckle this thing and try to be better. We don't want to just try to be sober. We don't want to just try to stop doing what we used to do. No, we need to be brand new. We need a new heart. And that was the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was keep the law and you shall live. And the New Testament was, guess what? You couldn't keep the law. But you know what? God's going to give you a new heart and He's going to put His law on your heart and you're going to delight in the Lord and you're going to love Him and you will be saved by His grace, but you will keep His law out of gratitude and love for Him. And that all stems from the new heart that Jesus came to bring. He came to bring freedom to the captives. Freedom to the captives. Those who are in bondage, those who are slaves. And the Bible teaches that we were all at one point in our lives slave to sin. If you don't know the Lord, if you haven't experienced that freedom that comes in Christ, then we, you are bound even to this very hour by sin. And I don't mean to offend you if that offends you, but that is what the Scriptures clearly teach. But Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to set you free. And so that is ultimately what we're talking about here. Addiction, you will hear many different ideas 
or suggestions about what addiction is, but what it is ultimately is a is a symptom. It's sin. Sin is at the core, and addiction is just a manifestation of that. So often it's someone's attempt to fill a void. And we all have these things in our lives. We all attempt to fill a void with something, whether it's relationships, whether it's career, it could be education, it could be uh, fulfilling uh, pleasure, it could be drugs. I mean, fill in the blank. And Jesus came to set us free from all of that. He came to liberate the captive. And that's the message that we have to preach. He came to give sight to the blind. Sight to the blind. And the Bible teaches that we were blind. We were dead in our trespass and sin. We were blind. We were ignorant. But Jesus gave light. Jesus came to reveal to us the Father, the heart of God. He came to give us a new heart. He came to fill us with His Spirit and to give us sight that we may see. And you know the song, I once was blind, but now I see Christ does that. You know, we're, we're blind to our own condition. As an unbeliever, you know, we may not even necessarily recognize the, the real problem. But Jesus came so that we would understand the core issue, the root of it all, is sin and separation from God. And He said, you must be born again. You must be born from above. You must be given a new heart. You must be filled with the Spirit. And Jesus came to do that very thing. And again, it says that He came to liberate the oppressed. You know, freedom is in a person, guys. Freedom is in a person. It's not in a place. It's not even in a program. It's not in a set of rules or steps. As helpful as those things can be, freedom is found in a person. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. In Romans 7, he talks about this war that exists between his flesh and his spirit. I want to do those things that, that are pleasing to God, but I find myself doing just the opposite. And there's this battle that is raging always. And then finally he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He said, I thank God through Lord Jesus Christ. It was the Lord. It was, it was a person. It was Jesus. You know, just for fun, I, you know, this is kind of a, a gory illustration, but I have heard it said, I've looked into this, that there was a form of capital punishment in Rome where if you killed someone, they would take that corpse and strap it to you until you know, it began to decay and it, the bugs and what was eating that corpse would begin to eat you. And you would die a slow, horrible, painful death. And that was a really creative way of, of handling that on the part of Rome, I must say. But I, they say that it seems that Paul is kind of using that. He's conjuring up that same image when he's talking about sin. This issue of sin that we all deal with. It's this body of death. It is strapped to me. It's inescapable and it is eating me to death slowly and painfully. Who's going to deliver me from that? Jesus. I thank God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Deliverer. He came to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That is to say, He ushered in the era of grace. Before Him, it was the law. You've got to keep the law or else. But Jesus came in and said, you can't keep the law. It is by My grace that you shall be set free, that you shall be saved. And now that is the age that we live in. 
God has extended to us grace in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that is our hope. So I'm going to share just a couple more Scriptures quickly with you because in a moment I'm going to hand this off to my wife and then Pastor Bill uh, will close out the service. But I just want to keep moving with this. So don't worry about turning uh, with me in your Bibles at this point. 2 Corinthians 5.17, that's really the core. It says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. We're talking about a new creation. That, that is the key. Someone comes in with addiction. They come in with, with issues that have destroyed their life. Their hope is found in a new heart, being a new creation. We're talking about transformation here. Romans 12.1, it says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to be a brand new person, possible only in Christ. So that's where it starts. We're not so much concerned about the past. Okay, We're not trying to pull all that stuff up. What we're trying to look at is a new heart and a new future. That's what. There's not much we can do about the past, but what we can do here and now and moving forward, that's everything. And it starts with a new creation. And then beyond that, a new way to live. A new way to live. In Ephesians chapter 4, there is this principle where it says that, you know, we've come out of this past life, all of these things that were so detestable to God, but we have put on the new man. We have taken the old man off and we have put the new man on, which was created according to God in, in righteousness and holiness. And that's just it. Like I said, it's miserable to think that someone has to just get clean and just that's it. Okay, they're just white-knuckling this thing. They're just giving all their effort into this one thing. No, you put that old life off and you put on the new life. And that was the key for me. You know, I came to the Lord and I, I saw something brand new. I saw a new way to live. I saw something new to wake up in the morning for and to give my life to. And that was knowing God and going deeper with Him and serving the Lord. He showed me a new way. And I, that's just it. You have to replace. You take that old life off and you put on the new man in Christ and you have new dreams, new goals, a new purpose. And God gives us that. Jesus gives us that. He came to restore. This was one of the most special verses for me when I was in at the ranch. Joel 2.25 I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Years. He said, I'll restore the years to you. That really spoke to me because I wasted a lot of years. I don't know if anybody in here can relate with that, but I wasted a lot of years. I did a lot of hurt, burned a lot of bridges, a lot of damage. And God redeemed those years. You know, He didn't just make my relationships with my family good again. He gave me relationships I never had in the first place. Family that I had never really known or loved or, or enjoyed. So many different things God brought into my life. He didn't just pick up the pieces and put it back together. He did a new thing. He restored the years that had been destroyed and wasted. And that's what we're talking about here. God will make you a new creation. He will restore you. And He will restore those years that have been wasted and eaten by the locust. You know, the thing about this idea of the locust... It was an agrarian society. And so everything depended upon the crops and the harvest. And when the people would turn away from God and they would begin to worship idols and false gods, God would send plagues and pestilences upon their crops so that they would turn back to God. 
in the, in, in the first place. So when God's talking about this hardship that came down on them, this calamity, it was because of their unfaithfulness to Him in the first place. But He said, if you turn back to Me, if you get right with Me, I'll restore all of that to you. All of those years that were destroyed, I will restore that. God is a God of restoration. And that's why we call it a restoration ministry. That's what it's really about. And our confidence is that God will keep us. You know, that's, that's the confidence that I have in myself. There's only one thing that's really keeping me, and that is the Lord. If I didn't have the Lord, I already know what would happen to me. I already know where, where I would go, what I'm capable of. And so for the next person, anyone who would come into this ministry, the confidence that I have is not in me, and it's not in us. It's in God's faithfulness to keep that person. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is determined. God is set that if He has saved you and is redeeming you, that He will one day finish that job and you will stand in glory before the Lord because of His faithfulness. And Paul took up that same thing in 2 Timothy 1.12. He says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know who I have believed and I am persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. He is able to keep what I have committed to Him. Paul's very life. God is faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are faithless, guess what? God remains faithful. You know why? Because He cannot deny Himself. It's just who He is. It's what He is. He's faithful. We can count on Him. He's dependable. And so that's our philosophy of ministry. The answer is in Jesus. The answer is in, in the Lord. And it's a new heart. It's a new way of living. And it's trusting in God as the one who will keep that person on the right path. Tracking with me? Does that sound good to you? I don't know about you. I love this. I love it. So I want to, at this point, just kind of go into how are we going to do this? So what's, what's the next step? Well, I already mentioned that we have a team of people we're working towards this together. People have some very different and unique giftings, and it's so very obvious that God is bringing this thing together as such. There's a ministry in Monterey called The Bridge. So Calvary Chapel, Monterey, they have this ministry. It's been going for almost 18 years now, and we have sent people to The Bridge from this church, and I have been down there. We took a team of people down there recently. We scouted it for a few days, had several meetings, sat in on all the different things that they offered, and it was just it was wonderful. And they have um, invited us to kind of come under their umbrella. They will support us in every way that they can, and there are many ways that they can support us. Uh, it's just a very involved deal. And it's kind of cool because there's a, a place in Salinas uh, next to Monterey that wants to do the same thing that we're trying to do. And they don't have a church, they don't have a team, but they got money. So they uh, are basically funding, they're putting up like $2 million for the bridge in Monterey to compile every single thing they possibly can about the ins and outs of that ministry so that they can take it anywhere and replicate it. And they're going to also allow us to have that. Everything that is developed by the, the, the benefactors there in Salinas, uh, we, will, we will get that too. And Monterey has said, honestly, we'll be up and running before they will because we're already ahead of them. We don't have the money, all the money that Salinas has, but we've got the team. We've got a number of resources already on the go. We've got the church here, obviously. 
And so in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a meeting. I'll begin to talk to pastors in Napa about this. There's a very real uh, excitement and urgency here, and other churches want to get behind this. So we're going to meet at Grace, uh, the pastors and their teams, and talk about this more. The pastor from Monterey is going to come out, and he's going to reside over this meeting, and, and he's going to be here for a few days, and he's going to speak here on a Sunday morning in a few weeks and kind of echoes some of these things. It's going to be an awesome service. He's, a, he's really a great guy. Looking forward to having him out here. So they're going to come alongside and, and help us to, to launch this thing. And there are other practical steps that we're taking, applying for grants, talking to consultants of nonprofit organizations and trying to get the kind of wisdom that, that we can to do something like this. Um, but we're also asking for support on an individual level. Okay, so uh, God's really bringing this thing together. Other churches in this community are excited about it. The church in Monterey, the bridge ministry in Monterey, they're coming alongside, and, and there's a lot of other things happening. It's great, but I'm asking for our church to support this too. First and foremost, in prayer. That's the number one thing. So you guys know we're having this meeting. I would ask you to be praying about that. You know that uh, there are obviously all kinds of needs, and I'll, I'll talk more about that. Um, well, I guess I'll just say it now. We have a house uh, that someone is willing to let us rent to this end. It's four bedrooms, two and a half baths, basically two living room spaces. Perfect. Um, and so there's rent that would go for that. We need food cost, insurance for the ministry, a vehicle, gas. Those are just the, the basic things that we would need for something like this to, to run. Uh, and so God's bringing things together already. We know what we need. It's not that complicated, but it, you know it takes money in Napa to be able to do these kinds of things. And so I wanted to share a scripture with you. I'll just read this to you in Exodus 36. Exodus 36. They're working on the tabernacle. God has given uh, Moses the blueprint. And it says this, that Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen were doing all the work of the sanctuary uh, each from the work he was doing, and they, they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. That's a beautiful picture. That's not an issue that most churches run into these days. But God had a very specific thing He wanted His people to do. He gave them a vision. And He gave them clear, practical steps on how to do it. And then He gave them gifted people, artisans, that Bezalel and Aholiab, who were able to, to do the task. But then He was depending on the people of Israel to come and to give freewill offerings to the Lord to make this thing possible. And they were so excited to do this, and they did so so much that Finally, Moses had to tell them to stop. They had too much. And so I just want to share that with you guys. I would encourage us as the body of Christ to seek to be generous towards this end. If, if God would put it on your hearts in any way to, to want to support something like this, one time, regularly, there are all kinds of different needs that you can talk to me about afterwards. 
would love to talk to you and, and, and help steer you in any possible direction on how you could support this. But obviously prayer is the biggest thing. Because this is real warfare, folks. This is storming the gates of hell kind of stuff. The principalities, you know, the enemy, they, they run deep in this kind of stuff. And, and that's what we're coming against. And then also favor for Napa and the community, the city, uh, law enforcement, probation. There are so many different things. Where the house is at, the residents around there. Be praying that God would, would give us favor with all of these people so that we can do this awesome work for the Lord and be unhindered. Because there will be opposition. That much we know. But God is greater. And if God wants to do this, God can do this. God will do this. And we just want to be part of it. Amen? Amen. And so we, we really have done our homework. And you know, once we get this thing going and we have guys here, they're willing to send us a, a, a house manager, the person who will be on the ground living in the house. And we've talked about having a couple more people from Monterey who have been in the program, say, six months to come, just so when we get started... It's already solid. We don't have to, you know, the guy in Monterey, when he launched the program, they found a house, they had one month's rent, and they said, we're going to do this thing. And that was how they did it. They had one guy, and he climbed out the window the first night and disappeared, never to be seen again. And so he shows up at the church, and everyone's so excited. They're like, how'd it go the first night? He's like, well, the guy climbed out the bathroom window. But now this thing is amazing. They've got so many different facilities. It's beautiful. God is doing incredible things. When we were down there, uh, we went into one of the thrift stores. They have a couple of those. They have a, um, a restaurant on the church where people get trained and, uh, towards being a chef. They can get a 1,000 hours certification and in, in, uh, in working in a kitchen and all kinds of other things. But there was a guy there. I met him, Nate. I mean, he was on fire. It's the kind of thing you love to see. And uh, a detective and a social worker came in to just kind of connect with the program about uh, what they could do to help partner in the community. And they saw this guy in there. Nate, and they were like, do you realize this guy was like the worst serial burglar on the Monterey Peninsula? Crime has gone down since this guy has been in here. <laughs> and he's just on fire, you know. And then there was another guy that had come in out of prison and he had a, a swastika on the side of his head. And then his best buddy was a black guy. And people come in and they're like, what the heck is going on in here, man? And it was like, the Lord is moving. God is doing an awesome work, and nobody can deny that. And now the Monterey is coming to them and saying, what can we do to get you more beds? You need more beds. And so that, and God wants to do that right here. And I, and I want to be a part of something like that, don't you? I want our church to have an impact in Napa like that. And so I'm just encouraging you guys to partner with us in any way that, that the Lord would lead above uh, you know, all that in prayer. And obviously when they're here, it's going to be an opportunity to love on these guys and gals. That would be the, the big vision is to have a, a women's home as well. And so the, the need is, is huge. And so I thank you guys for hearing us out and um, appreciate your support. And I'll kind of close with that. But my wife is going to come up and just kind of share her heart for a brief second about uh, you know, her journey and just kind of backing me on this. Hello. Okay, it's on. Hi, you guys. <laughs> I'm Jessica. I know most of you. Uh, like Rob said, he and I are um, standing here today because um, of a program like what we're talking about. And um, I, you know, I still struggle with feeling uh, 
like I'm still that person sometimes, and it can, it's kind of hard sometimes to talk about coming out of that kind of past, but I really, really believe the gospel. I really believe the truth of who Jesus Christ is and, and what he does, and that is he does transform. Uh, I struggled with uh, addiction for 20 years. Um, as you can imagine, that's uh, a hopeless amount of time. And, uh, you know, I was truly, to be truly in bondage is to have lost the ability to, to make a choice for yourself. And so for 20 years, I was trying harder, trying to stop, and, and everyone around me would say, well, you just stop doing it. Well, you just don't do it. You just say, you know, and it, it's beyond that. That, it, that is what it means to be in, uh, enslaved to sin, is you have lost your identity, you have lost your, your way, your purpose in life, you have lost the ability to choose for yourself. And so I was just completely dominated by this, this addiction and um, tried everything, failed. For, for, I mean, it was just horrible. I just wanted to be sober when uh, I walked into this church. Um, I didn't know that there was this other thing going on, which is, what is the purpose of life? Why, why am I even here? There, that there is a God and that um, he sent his son to do the work for me and to live the perfect life for me so that I could be born again and, and regenerated and, uh, and that I mattered to, the, to God. And I remember... Um, walking in this church, and it was like a Thursday night Bible study or service that Bill was doing, and he talked to me like I had dignity, like I was a a child of God, like he could see past the mess. And I'd never had anyone talk to me like that. And I want to do that. I want to be like that. And I remember reading um, as a new Christian in Mark where Bartimaeus, uh, the blind beggar on the road, um, as Jesus is passing by to go to Jerusalem, and this guy's out there on the, just his whole life has been on the side of the road like that, and he's crying out, "Jesus, have mercy on me." He's just desperate. He he can't rely on his own resources. He doesn't matter to society. He's dirty. He's begging. He's he's a nobody. And uh, that's how you feel when you've been caught up that long in addiction. You feel like that guy. And everyone looks at you that way, and you just you don't matter anymore, and you're hopeless of ever changing. And even the disciples were like telling him to be quiet, but he just was so forceful. And Jesus healed him, and his response was, "What can I do for you?" And that's what happens. I I've seen it happen. It's happened in my life. Like you're not just sober, but you are like a child of God. You matter to God. And you're just to be freed from that kind of uh, hopelessness, uh, it, from from death into life, is is um, powerful. And you cannot wait to go and tell the good news to other people. And you can and you can look past that. You can look past the mess, like how Bill was able to look past my mess, and he saw that I was a a, a lost person who needed to be reconciled to my Creator. So you're probably thinking, well, I, I don't really feel like doing that, or <laughs> that just seems too much, or I don't know anything about that. But you have something that th- these lost people don't have, and that is direct access to the creator of the universe through prayer. Because of Jesus Christ up there interceding, you can intercede right now for this ministry. I'm begging you guys, please please do that. 
Um, I, I also want to mention that my parents started coming here um, when I was in my early 20s, and I was not a believer. My mom started putting me on the prayer chain every Sunday. I think I was on there for like 15, 17 years or something. So bad people would even be like, wow, you're still putting that on there? And my mom, like, you know. Um, and I know now I'm friends with you guys. <laughs> I know that you all prayed for me. And he, God heard in his timing. He heard. And... Uh, when we went to Monterey and I spent some time around some of the women that are in there, it just really brought back the memory of how hopeless they feel. They don't know what God has in store for them. And it's not, it's not just sober, which is wonderful. It's wonderful to be sober. Thank you, Lord. You know, I can tell you the exact amount of days I've been sober. That's great. But there's, there's more to it. There's identity in Christ. There's this, uh, the good news of the gospel to go share. There's serving God's people. And he brings a whole new thing. And I just was reminded that, wow, as a church, we need to be there to show these and remind these people because they don't know it. Your life does not always have to be this way. It doesn't. Only God, though, can, can free us from the bondage of sin. Only God can replace that inability to choose for ourselves. So um, now that I'm in a, as a part of this church, I pray all the time for all of the needs um, every week that are on the prayer chain because I was a recipient of that. But also, um, right now, I know that you guys are probably thinking of people that are uh, caught up in addiction and alcoholism, life-controlling sin in your life. Instead of telling them what they need to do, Go back to that prayer and that interceding to, to our Father in Heaven. When you see people on the street that are annoying or look like they don't matter or they're dirty or messy, they matter to God. And you don't know what's underneath that, that mess. There's, there's a child of God maybe under there. There's someone that's going to accept the good news of the gospel and go out and, and impact the kingdom. We just never know. Start praying for the people in this community right now that are down and out that don't know yet. But they will know. They will know. And we can be um, ambassadors of, of righteousness. We can help reconcile people to God. We've been entrusted with the, with the mysteries of God. We have the answer, like Rob was saying. So um, that's what I'm doing right now is just interceding because I know God hears my prayers. And I'm thankful that he answered the prayers of this church years ago uh, on my behalf. So anyways, now Pastor Bill will come up. So thanks, you guys. Yeah, be praying. Some of you are new to the church, and, and you may not know who I am. I, the Lord brought my wife and I, Debbie, to start this church in 1991. <clears throat> Last October, we passed it to Rob and to Jessica. So it's been eight months, and I'm now an assistant pastor here, and very happy to do that. Um, just a, how much time do I have? Um, I want to read to you just a couple of verses and then make a couple of comments. And I'm going, I'm going back a little further than what they've shared with you guys. But uh, it says in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that God gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man or a mature person, mature men and women is what it means, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness by which they lay in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up, that we can be mature Christians. And so, as I was taught, as Rob was taught, we, we teach, the, teach the word of God here. And God gives pastors to the church as gifts. And so Rob is a gift to you. So just, just know that. God has gifted this church with a man that is serious about God's word and a wife that is serious about God's word. They are gifts to this church, to Calvary Napa, to equip us to serve God so that we can be mature, so that others can be saved and that they can be mature. And so that is part of what is, is being shared today. We are being reminded and maybe shaken up a little bit uh, and having our attention directed to something that, that maybe some of us aren't familiar with and maybe some of us avoid. But there's a need in this community that is a desperate need. And if anybody should be doing this work, it ought to be the church. Amen? Not the government. I mean, the government certainly helps. But it's our calling, too, to love those who are, are, are seen as unlovable and to minister to them in the ways that we can. And all of us here have some way that we can help. Certainly everybody can pray. Some are hands-on. Some will be givers. Others will be supporters in different ways. Home repair, drivers of a van, whatever the case may be. Um, one other verse that I want to share with you, uh, it's in Philippians um, 2.12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, Paul's writing to Christians, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So Paul's telling these Christians, he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Cautious distrust of self, knowing what our proclivities can be, uh, knowing that we can make wrong decisions if we let our hearts go astray, but to work out our salvation, not work for it, because our salvation is in Jesus. Amen? Salvation is in Jesus. But he's given us this salvation. Now, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with the salvation that God has given us? I like my, I like my yard weed-free as much as the next guy. I like to have the house painted as much as the next guy. But Jesus didn't save me just to have a weed-free yard. He saved me to use me for his kingdom. And Jesus said, seek what? Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Dear Christians, one of the struggles that we have here is that we're busy doing a lot of secondary and tertiary things that just in eternity just don't matter. When I get to heaven, I don't want to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful gardener. I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were involved in areas that I wanted you to be involved in. So it's just a challenge for us to pray and say, Lord, how can I help? And finally, the, the, the concluding part of this verse, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I know that's what Pastor Rob is doing. But then it also says it's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God is working in Pastor Rob. He's my pastor. I'm his older brother. <laughs> but he's my pastor. He's my boss, but he's my pastor. And God is working in my pastor something that he didn't work in me. If you've noticed, the church has changed uh, physically a bit, hasn't it? Isn't it nice? 
I, I love the changes that are being made here. And, and sometimes um, those who talk about older pastors needing to retire, they say the older pastor loses vision. And so, you know, they need a fresh vision for the church. I didn't lose vision. The vision that God gave me and started stirring in my heart five years ago was get ready to pass on the church. That was the vision. And so I didn't have any vision to improve the church or get chairs or have great woodwork or have, you know, I didn't have vision to, to uh, recruit new people into ministry. I didn't have vision for any of those things because the vision God gave me was find your replacement. And so that's, that was my vision. And now my vision is to help my replacement and serve the guy that is pastoring over this church. But my point is this, God is work, working something into Rob. And what is Rob? A gift to the church, to shepherd this body of believers. And so I just want to encourage you, as our pastor works out what God has worked in him, let's pray for him, shall we? And let's pray for the needs that are, that are in our community. So, thanks for letting me share. You like seeing the cross. Pastor Rob's idea. <laughs> Let's stand together. I'm going to uh, offer a, a word of prayer. We do have favor here in this community. There are some things falling together. I'm really impressed with Pastor Rob's diligence to do the homework. This isn't just a good intention. This is a plan that's being worked out. And it's also a step of faith. And we walk by faith and not by sight. But a lot is being put together, and it's a beautiful thing to see. So stay tuned to this. Father, we commit this to you. Commit Pastor Rob to you. Pray your protection over him, over Jessica. Thank you for the work that you've done in them. And thank you for the work that you've done in so many here, in us, Lord. And there are other ministries that you want us to be involved in. Other ways, God, that you've gifted us to serve you. Cooking meals, watching children driving people to the doctor's office, all kinds of things, Lord, serving behind the scenes, in front of the church. May we hear, well done, good and faithful servant, Lord, when you call us home. Bless Calvary Napa, God, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.